Welcome to the Geektastic Dad podcast. My name is Jason. I'm your friendly neighborhood geek and father of a daughter. So both 2020 and 2021 have been pretty rough on us. So I wanted to do an episode where I can just say a few words about Christmas. Christmas can take on different meanings for different people, but I want to tell you what this holiday has meant for me growing up and what it means for me now. So if you'd like to visit me on social media, you can point your favorite web browser to geektastic.link contact. You can support my podcast by going to geektastic.link support. Uh, if you'd like to leave me a voice message, possibly have it played, pending your approval, of course, you can visit me at geektastic.link voicemail. All of these links can be found in my show notes. I urge you to like and subscribe my podcast on your favorite app, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever. I appreciate you joining me. Now let's get started. So I only have one topic today for... What the geek? Okay, um, I took my daughter to see Ghostbusters Afterlife, and I wanted to do kind of a review of it. I'm, I'm no movie critic, um, so take this all with a grain of salt, but I felt it was worthy of conversation. So to get started, I went into this movie hoping for a tasteful tribute to the original Ghostbusters. I was not disappointed. Uh, it was more than that, actually, but uh, that definitely hit the mark. It has one of the most effective jump scares I've seen in a long time. Like, I almost ended up in the lap of the person behind me. It was so, so effective. And my daughter liked to point and laugh that I flinched. So that was fun for her, too. Uh, as far as the movie plot, they basically recycled the the move, the first movie plot, which normally would bother me, but they changed the environment and adapted the characters so drastically that it was really good. There were parts I felt they were trying a little bit too hard to play off the original movie, but that was easy to overlook because, in totality, it was just a very good movie. So let's talk about characters for a bit. First, uh, McKenna Grace, who played Phoebe, or Egon Spangler's granddaughter, was an amazing little Egon clone. They obviously had to dye her hair, but she really is just a brilliant little actress. Um, and I do remember seeing her, I think, in Young Sheldon. Now, Phoebe becomes friends with this awkward youth who calls himself Podcast. Uh, he's played by Logan Kim. And these two have this weird, fun, dynamic, awkward, but it works relationship. And they, you know, they collaborate so well. And Logan, or I'm sorry, Podcast is just a silly, silly character. Uh, but throughout the movie, they work together to kind of uncover things. And he is such a loyal and dedicated um, friend to her for having just met her. Now, Finn Wolfhard played Trevor, who is Phoebe's brother, or Egon's grandson. And he plays sort of an angsty teen who aids and abeds Phoebe's antics, primarily by finding Ecto-1 and taking it kind of on a joyride. Uh, with a little help from Grandpa, he gets it running again. It's just in dire situation but he does get it running again uh, just in time to cause havoc in this small town Somerville Oklahoma he also did a really great job uh, and certainly had the Spangler look to him um, now Callie 
who is Egon's daughter, played the mom of the two kids, was she was played by Carrie Coon. And I found it very interesting that they did not dye her hair or go out of their way to make any correlation between her look and Egon's look. It was almost like they really wanted to drive home how different she was from her father. And you'll you'll get the tone of that when you watch the movie. Um, the next actor I liked was Paul Rudd. He played Mr. Gooberson, a seismologist and very irresponsible summer school teacher. Uh, but he played this unique role. It's like they tried to partially play him off as a character similar to Louis Tully, uh, who was the original gatekeeper played by Rick Moranis, while trying to also make him more a more attractive alternative. For the most of the movie, he's just this geeky scientist building a, sort of a romantic interest with Callie. There are some awkward moments that lends itself to the comedy of it. And being a fan of Paul Rudd from his role as Mike Hannigan, also known as Crapbag, give you a minute you friends you friends fans will get me anyhow being being a fan of him from friends might have played into why i liked him so much in ghostbuster afterlife because his character was kind of similar and of course they brought in the og characters including bill murray as dr peter vinkman dan Aykroyd as ray stance ernie hudson as dr winston zedmore and of course annie potts as janine if you check the cast list you will see sigourney weaver in there and i don't want any spoilers in here, so all I'm going to say is stay for the post-credit scenes. That's it. That's all I'm saying. I think one of the things I love the most about this movie is that they, they tried to maintain an authentic look and feel. Um, you know, a lot of the special effects were very, very similar to the original Ghostbusters. Now, I will say one disappointment I had was that they did not bring Slimer back. I thought there was a Slimer, but they have a new ghost they're calling Muncher. Uh, he has his charm, but he is no Slimer, unfortunately. I think the most wonderful part of this movie is how they used it to pay homage to the memory of Harold Remus. Uh, he was the actor who, of course, played Egon Spengler in the original movie. Um, Harold passed away in 2014 at the age of 69 due to complications from autoimmune inflammatory vasculitis, but they basically built this movie around honoring him, and I thought that was a wonderful, wonderful way to leverage um, the movie and to really uh, reach out to people like me who were there and enjoyed the first Ghostbusters and really fell in love with the characters, and I, I was a big fan of Egon uh, from the Ghostbusters movies to the cartoons he was just such a great character um the ending you know what i'm not going to say anything about the ending it is it is wonderful you're going to love it you're going to love how they bring his character into the mix a bit and um you can see that there's definitely some some emotion tied to this movie so Overall, it's a wonderful movie. Go see it. I recommend it. I'm probably going to watch it a few more times before the day is over. Well, not the day, but you know what I mean. Uh, anyways, enjoy the movie, and uh, that concludes it. That's my assessment of Ghostbusters Afterlife. So I thought it would be fun to start by talking about the different Christmas traditions that have come from all over the world, or some of the places in the world. The first is the tradition of hanging the Advent calendar. So the word Advent means to come, and it represents the period beginning four Sundays before Christmas. So in the 19th century, German Protestants would place 24 chalk lines on the door, 
and then remove one every day in December. In the early 20th century, uh, the paper advent calendars became more popular. Now today you can find elaborate advent calendars and at some point we started putting treats behind the little doors. Uh, but it's become a worldwide tradition now. Um, moving on to Mexico, there's this fun tradition of putting out poinsettias. Uh, beautiful flowers, you've seen them, probably the red flowers. Uh, but there's a story that goes behind this tradition. So there's a Mexican legend of a girl who had nothing to offer baby Jesus at the Christmas Eve service but a handful of weeds. When she knelt down to place the weeds by the nativity scene, they suddenly burst into these bright red flowers whose leaves are said to be the shape of the star of Bethlehem. These flowers are known there as the Flores de Nochebuena, or the flowers of the holy night. What a beautiful legend. Uh, Japan doesn't really celebrate Christmas, at least not in, as a national holiday, but there's apparently a tradition that the good people of Japan do every year they go to KFC to have chicken. <laughs> so uh, this tradition started around 1974 because of a very wildly successful marketing campaign they called Kentucky for Christmas. I'd love to be able to say that in Japanese, but I, I'm sorry, I can't. Uh, but this has just become a thing there. So if you move to the Netherlands, uh, their Santa Claus, or I think Sinterklaas is how you say it, is a man with this long white beard, red cape, and a red mitter, or this tall headdress that's usually worn by bishops. So children will place their shoes by the chimney on Christmas Eve, and then Christmas morning they'll wake to find these delicious treats in them, like gingerbreads and chocolates and stuff. And then Christians aren't the only ones who have something this time of year. It's one of those things that I love about December. Uh, well, let's say November, December. If you're Jewish, you'll be celebrating Hanukkah. Kwanzaa is there for African-American cultures to celebrate their heritage. We have the Hindu festival of Diwali. Uh, technically, that's in November, but I'm counting it. It's really amazing how much diversity is out there for us to enjoy. So we should, we should get out there and enjoy it. Christmas really wasn't anything spectacular as a child, as far as production goes, but we had normal traditions of decorating the tree, hanging lights, making cookies, and so on. Laying there in bed, trying hard to sleep, knowing that at any moment, Santa could be landing on my roof and bringing me presents and treats. Then waking to find new stuff under the tree, full stockings and just tearing through it and, you know, going crazy wearing my Donkey Kong pajamas. If we were lucky, there would be a fresh layer of snow to play. We'd make snow angels, make snowmen, go sledding, maybe have a spirited snowball fight. Then after things calmed down a bit, you got to go share your new toys and goodies with your neighbors and friends. For me, growing up at least, Christmas was a time of fellowship and fun. It was spirit, it was giving, and the gifts were great, but spending time with the people you loved was so much more. I honestly don't recall much, if any, Christian religious influence in our Christmas celebrations. I'm sure they were there, but as a child, Santa was kind of the big deal back then. Uh, as time went on, it felt like the magic of Christmas started to fade. Uh, it was still special. We still enjoyed family and friends. However, as I grew up, the world started to look different. I genuinely missed the mystery and magic of Christmas, at least until I had my own child and got to see the world through her eyes again. This time, I got to be part of the magic and mystery. You see, we all, we all still believe in Santa. Even me. As a child, Santa was a mythical man who brought presents to every child on the planet in a single night. I know better now, but now Santa is the spirit of magic, and it's 
my duty, I feel, as a parent to embody him so that my child can see the world with wonder. And I can see the world with wonder a little bit myself, too. So I hope you'll forgive me for this next part, because I'm going to get a little more personal and tell you what Christmas means to me now. If you disagree, that's okay. I really don't mind. As I said before, there's something for everyone this time of year. So, full disclosure, I am a Christian. For me, Christmas still has the magic of Santa, stockings, trees, and presents. But there's something more important that lives in my heart, which is the story of Jesus. I'm sure most of you are aware that the story behind the birth of Jesus Christ, the Virgin Mary, Joseph, their travels to Bethlehem, only to find no lodging because of the census. Uh, imagine, though, the Lord of Lords, destined to be to inherit the throne of David, born in a stall with only a manger, basically a feeding trough, for the child to sleep in. For me, Christmas is more than the sum of its traditions. It represents the beginning of forgiveness and salvation. Now, if you're still listening, this ties into a bigger point. Each one of us has probably been hurt, betrayed, or in some cases even abused by someone. Forgiveness is not something that the other person may deserve, but it is certainly something that you deserve, because forgiveness brings a peace within each of us that nothing else can do. Uh, nothing else can come close to. You aren't accepting bad behavior by forgiving someone else. It's easy to feel that way. Forgiveness is all about what you deserve, and it's filling your heart with goodness instead of the bad. So if you're struggling this Christmas, whether it's from a loss, uh, such as a relationship or a loved one, or if you feel alone or you just have a few scars in your heart and you're struggling to have a, a good time, I want you to know that I understand, and I get it. Let's agree to spend this next year working towards forgiveness so that the next Christmas can be joyful. Sound good? That's all for this episode. I know it was kind of short. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, consider supporting me. Again, uh, you can point your favorite web browser to geektastic.link support. Thank you for joining me. Be sure to like and subscribe this podcast. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Uh, if you'd like to visit me on social media or send me an email, you can open, again, your favorite web browser to geektastic.link contact. I would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe my podcast on your favorite app, uh, iTunes, Spotify, all those. Um, you can see a list of them at geektastic.link podcast. If you would like to leave me a voice message, possibly have it played with your permission, visit geektastic.link voicemail. Remember to be kind to each other, have a very Merry Christmas, and always stay geek-tastic.